thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Good morning, Radiant. How are we doing today? You guys doing well? Hey, my name is Nathan. I am excited to get to share the Word of God with you today. It is always an honor every time I get to do this, and today is no exception. Uh, my family and I, we've been on vacation the last few weeks, and it's been, uh, it was so great to actually join online and still be a part and really to experience what God has been doing in this Colossians series. I'm really excited about today. Pastor David is actually speaking at a great church in Fort Myer. Um, he's actually literally, he's probably literally speaking right now. He is suffering in Fort Myer, Florida, preaching today while we are here in Kansas City. Praise the Lord. And uh, it's going to be a great day. I'm very excited. We've been in a series in the book of Colossians. And I, I've just enjoyed this. I have loved walking through the book of Colossians together as a church. It's given us an opportunity. Some, so many times I feel like we sprint through uh, books of the Bible in our personal devotion time and things like that. So to have an extended period of time to where we can actually slow down and really do a deep dive into the Word of God, into a particular book of the Bible, I feel like it's always so rich and rewarding. So I'm very excited. Um, Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into today's text in Colossians chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, you want to go ahead and look ahead. We're going to be in chapter 3. So Jesus, we love you. God, we pray and declare that you are preeminent. You are over all today. God, we've sang it. We're going to read about it in your word, Jesus. And we just pray that it would not just be the words of our mouth, God, but it would be the declaration of our hearts. God, everything inside of us, God, that we would say that you are over all today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 I want to go to Bible school just for a few minutes as we kind of recap the first two chapters of the book of Colossians. Because when you go through a book of the Bible and you start to get into chapter 3, chapter 4, or however many chapters are in that particular book that you're studying, sometimes it's easy to get disconnected from what the writer of that, the letter, in this case Paul, was saying in the beginning. Right? So in the, in the first two chapters, we see Paul doing what, if you love grammar, you would call an indicative statement. That he is telling you this, he's indicating something to you, he's indicating a truth to you. And it's this is that Jesus is preeminent, that he is overall, that he is supreme, that he is good, that he is for you, that he is fully God, that he is full of grace and mercy and truth. It's that he is all powerful. He's giving you these massive indicating, indicative statements about the, the nature of Jesus. And in chapter three, Paul switches from indicatives to imperatives. So he's going, now we set the scene. Here is who Christ is. Here is who he is for you. And now it begins a shift. And here's how we live in light of that truth. So if we just pick it up in chapter three and we detach it from the rest of the book, what happens is we can look at chapter three like it's a list of do's and don'ts. That it's a list of things. Here's, here's the things that you have to do to be a good person, to be right with God. 
And that couldn't be further from what Paul is actually articulating. He's Paul saying, even in the midst of chapter three, that Jesus Christ is over all and a life committed to Jesus in relationship with Jesus is transformative to every aspect of your life. Amen. So here's the thing that we have to hang on to. The theme of Colossians is that Jesus is over all. And the, uh, one of the things we can do is we hear these statements. How many of you guys love, um, there's, there's like the meme culture right now, right? Everything is these quick statements, these short phrases. And Jesus overall can actually become one of them. If we're not careful, if we're not cognizant of what's happening in our heart, it can become just another statement that we say as Christ followers, Jesus overall. And it loses its impact and its, uh, its ability to permeate every aspect of our life. Let me give you an example of another one that I think we say quite often. You ready for this? That I'll pray about it. This is like the Christian version of saying no. <laughs> like, just tell the person no. Like, just let's just be honest. It will save you a lot of like guilt later in the day that you're like, I should have just told him no. You're, t- you're like sitting like at dinner with somebody and you're like, I, I should have just told him no. I-, I told him I'd pray about it. Now I have to pray about it. God, you don't want me to do that, do you? No, I didn't think so. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, just tell the person no. It'll save you a lot of grief. Or, okay, single people, I'm coming for you. You ready? If you don't want to date somebody, do, please do not tell them that God is leading you in a different direction. Just tell them no. Like, just close the loop, put a bow on it, pull the Band-Aid, whatever illustration you want. Just say, no, I don't want to go out with you anymore, or I don't want to go out with you at all. And it's okay. You'll move on. They'll move on. They'll maybe be a little crying on their part, but they'll get over it. Just, just, just be honest. Don't, don't, don't fall into the trap of using the catchphrase. Because Jesus overall cannot become a catchphrase in our life. See, Paul saturates this letter with this truth of what does it actually look like when Jesus is over all, that it has to be something that has an effect on our life. Jesus is the great cause, and our lives are the great effect. So when Jesus transforms us, our lives are impacted. So when you're at work, when you're at the grocery store, and you're, or you're at, you're at the office, and you're in cubicle land, and your head pops up like a prairie dog, it's like that moment, like how do you be a good coworker? What does Jesus overall look like at your workplace? What does it look like at the grocery store? What does it look like when you're in conflict with one of your friends? What does it look like as a married person, as a single person, as a parent, as a a small group leader? What does it look like when when you're frustrated because an usher asks you to sit somewhere and you don't want to sit there? What What does Jesus overall look like in your life? And that's where Paul is honing in on chapter three. So let's actually get into the text. That was all bonus. So we're actually going to get into the the word of God. Chapter three, verse one, Paul says this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, Paul gives us this incredible, first he gives us this incredible qualifying statement. He says, if then. So Paul is telling, he's communicating who he's talking to. He is talking to people who have said yes to Jesus, who are followers of Christ, who have a relationship with Jesus. He's saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. 
This is an important qualifier because if you're not in a relation with Jesus, what he's about to say, you haven't, you, haven't, you haven't done the first step to get to the second step. So if he's saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, he goes into the next, he goes into the synopsis of his thought for the next 17 verses. Here it is. Here's the, here's the one sentence paraphrase of Paul's next 17 verses. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. That one sentence is where Paul lands for the next 17 verses. And in that statement, Paul in his theological brilliance is going and he's communicating the truth that is seen all throughout scripture, all the way from Genesis, all the way through Revelation, that that you have to seek the things that are above, not the short-term temporal things of this world. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it's not bad that you are seeking other things. It's an an issue of priority, of importance, of value place. It's saying seek first the kingdom of God. The psalmist in Psalm 121 says this. It says, I will lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I adore the Psalms of Ascent, which Psalm 121 is one of them. It's these 14 different Psalms, um, starting on Psalm 120. And it's these, they're the road songs. They're the traveling songs of the people of Israel because they would sing them over and over and over again as they would travel to Jerusalem for their their feast and the the holidays and all those times that they would be journeying to Jerusalem. And very much the same way that we all have these traveling songs, right? You've got your, your road trip playlist, Right, summer. Everyone's taking vacation. You've got your your playlist. Maybe um, it's you know little, if you got little kids. Maybe it's like little kid songs. Maybe it's worship songs. Maybe it's songs that if you, your pastor asked you, you'd be ashamed. Maybe it's you know all kinds of whatever it is. Maybe it's songs that you've made up with your kids that you definitely wouldn't tell anybody about because they're so silly. And um, but there, we have these songs that we sing. On, on road trips. So this is the exact same thing that's happening in the nation of Israel. These are the songs that they would sing on their road trips. And Eugene Peterson had this to say. He's one of my favorite authors. He said that theology is rooted in geography, meaning that to understand or to overlay the theology, we have to look at where we're actually at in the world, whether it was the actual physical surroundings of ourselves. So if you've, let me give you an example. If you've never spent time on a beach where it's just mile after mile of shoreline in both directions, you can intellectually understand when the psalmist writes, how precious are your thoughts toward me, how vast they're more than the sand. You can have an intellectual understanding of the truth of that, but when you're standing on a beach and you're thinking about that psalm, there becomes a present tense physical reality and a vastness to the scope of what the word of God is saying. So these, the nation of Israel, as they're singing the psalms of ascent, they're traveling, they're literally going uphill. They're traveling uphill to Jerusalem, which is the highest point in the region. And as they would be traveling, there'd be all these other pagan high places along the way on these small hills. So when the psalm is saying, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? It is the opportunity to take a shortcut to achieve the end result of worship and of getting our deepest need met in, 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 a, in a way that is less than ideal, that is not the way God intended it to become. The psalm is saying, I'm going to lift my eyes up past that. 
I'm going to lift my eyes up to the maker of heaven and earth. My help does not come from the temporal short-term fixes this life has to offer. My help comes from the Lord. And what Paul's saying when he says, seek the things that are above, he is echoing this truth that we cannot take a shortcut as we seek after the Lord. See, it's easier to go downhill than it is uphill. Right? Come on, everyone knows that's true. You can go a mile uphill and a mile downhill. Which one is easier? Every time. It's, I want to go downhill. It's this moment where we have to be able to look past the, the social status and the things that beckon for our attention to the thing and fix our eyes on Jesus, the thing that's going to actually fulfill the ultimate desire of our hearts. We have to seek the things that are above because that's where Christ is seated. It's this moment, it's that as we do this, the temptation is to take that path of least resistance. You know, uh, about a year and a half ago, right before uh, the pandemic shut everything down, uh, my family and I, we were actually at Disney World the week everything closed. We were at Disney World, um, which is a sociologist experiment gone mad. But um, we're at Disney, and if you've been to Disney or if you haven't, it's basically we're going to cram as many people into this park as in the middle of Florida, so it's always hot. And you're walking around and you're, you know, walking 40 miles a day. And, you know, at the very end of every single day, there's a fireworks show, which is, um, which is amazing. It's crazy. But um, at that point, they heard every single person. I said heard. Yes, they heard every single person into this little square and keep everyone there and to watch the fireworks. Now, this is less than ideal because it's hot in Florida. It is at the end of the day, so at that point, no matter how much deodorant you've applied in the morning, it has worn off, and you're all crammed together, and you're all there. Now, at the end of the day, you're tired, you're exhausted, you want to go to your hotel or wherever you're staying and sleep. Well, okay, I have a six-year-old. At this time, I had a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old, and um, I had to, my little boy wanted to see the fireworks, so I had to pick him up and put him on my shoulders. That took way more effort than what I wanted at that moment, right? You're tired. You don't want to do that. You put him on your shoulder. I stink. He stinks. And there's, there's an effort there. But there's also a higher reward there. You see, th the things, if we were willing to put it forth the effort, we can also see the reward on the other end of it. He got to see a fireworks show that he'll remember for the rest of his life. The reward is there, but the effort has to be there or else you won't get to it. All right, so as we move past Paul's thesis statement, let's, let's get back to the text here. Let's move past the thesis statement to the next 10 verses Paul really spends expounding on that thing, that seek the things that are above. Let's see what he has to say starting in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, the sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Paul gives us these two strong statements. He says, put it to death and put them away. Now, don't forget the qualifier. He's talking to people who, who have a relation with Jesus and are following Jesus, but he is 
articulating, I think, something that we can fall into is a trap of believers is that in order to give God our yes, we also have to be willing to give something else our no. Paul's communicating both a relational position that, hey, as a follower of Jesus, as a person who, who loves and is following Jesus, and then he says, here's how I want you to be free. Here's how I want you to do. And he doesn't, I love Paul because he doesn't leave anybody out of this scenario. Like, you need to find someone who loves you like Paul loves commas. It's like he gives this crazy list of the, all of these things. And he's saying, no one is exempt here. And the thing that he, he does so well is he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push past all of these external issues and get to the heart of it. The, the root issue is sin. The root issue is something that's going on deep inside of your heart that only Jesus can fix. And I I love how Paul communicates this because over and over again in all of his letters, we see this real truth that Paul's saying, it's, it's, it's the larger point is bigger than behavior modification. It is a heart and a life transformed. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make people who were dead alive. That's why in Galatians 2.20, he says that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. See, he's pushing past. He's saying, don't get focused on the external trappings of what's happening and what's going on in your life. You need to put, put them all away. Let's, let's put them away. Let's, put them, let's get them out of your life so that we can focus on the root issue at hand. The root issue is a heart issue. And that's where Jesus wants to begin the work in your life. It's far more than behavioral modification. Let me show you what I mean. We've got these cups here, right? So here's, here's the thing. We want to focus on the outside of this cup. We want to, we want to make, make sure that this is right, that we have the right career, the right job, the right family, the right kids, the right sports, the right home, the right pool. Apparently, I need to get a pool. Um, it's just real. Um, so, you know, we want to focus on all of these external things and make sure that this is right. What Paul is saying, what he's communicating in this text is, hold on, hold on. I want you to, to put this to death. Get rid of all of these things. Put them all away. So, okay, here, this is anger. You're, you, you may look right on the outside, but really there's anger going on inside. So we need to put this away. We need to actually get this out of your life so we can move on and get deeper into who you are as a person. Okay, well, maybe there's, there's covetedness. And you're always, always looking at someone else. Oh, man, they have what I don't have. And if I had that, it, I, I, would, I would feel happier. I would feel more fulfilled. If I just had what they had. And Paul's saying, no, 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 let's, 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 move, let's move past that. Let's keep going. Let's, let's keep digging deep into the root system of who you are. And maybe, maybe, maybe you lie. Maybe, maybe you're lying to people. Or maybe, maybe, you're, maybe, maybe you're unkind. What's going on in your heart? Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's, there's anger. Whatever it is. What's going on deep down into who you are as a person And let's get down to the root core of who you are as a person. And let's go, okay, this is is the place where Jesus wants to begin his work. He wants to begin his work in your heart. He, He will take care of the external, but it will start first and foremost, with transforming your life, that, that this little peg was dead and now it's alive, that this is a, I am a new creature in Christ, that the old is gone and the new has come. No, no, this is, he's, he wants to get here first. 
and say, I'm going to transform who you are. That all of these other things, let's, let's, let's push them to the side. Let's get them. Let's put them away so that we can deal with the real issue at hand. That we have to say no to all of these other things so that we can give God our yes. And let's keep going in verse 9. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. This is, this is what we're talking about. No, no, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me. I, I was dead in my sins. I'm alive in Christ. All of that's gone now. Now that we've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is communicating that we are entirely and completely free in Christ. That when this transformation happens at the root level, everything else about your life has the ability to change now because now you're no longer bound to the sin. You're no longer bound to these things that would pull you away from God, but we're free to walk fully in confidence in who he has created us to be as sons and daughters of God. So we have this mentality, I think, sometimes that when we look at freedom, that freedom is the ability to make the worst choice possible. Like we go, we're free so we can enter into a toxic relationship because I, I've got grace. Or we're free so I can make poor choices in this area of my life. And I can have this impure relationship or I can, I can go out and I can engage in things that are not glorifying to the Lord or I can, I can coddle this addiction or this habit that I have in my life and don't need to really put it to death because I'm free. We, we have this like, mindset that freedom allows us to make the worst choice. I want to propose today, freedom in Christ actually enables you to make the best choice. That because you're free, you can say no to all of those other things, and you can say yes to the things that aren't naturally within your own ability, because the grace of God is now at work in your life. Freedom in Christ allows us to be the best version of ourselves, not the worst. Let's keep going in the text. Verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul's saying, okay, you've put it off. Now, here's what we want you to put on. Again, this isn't, don't, don't lose sight. This is not behavior modification. This is Christ at work, alive inside of you, a vibrant relationship happening from the inside out. He's saying, then you can put on. Now look, you can, you can take the same little guy and then you can go, we're gonna put on kindness. When was the last time you were kind to somebody? Like, you're just, you're just kind. Kindness is not, this is a double negative, so I forgive my grammar. Kindness is not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix the grammar. Kindness is not the absence of unkindness. Still double negative, sorry. <laughs> but kindness is the active pursuit of someone else's well-being. When was I kind? How, how, am I kind? Am I compassionate? Can I, can I put on compassion today? 
Come on. How many times have you looked at someone and said, they're just getting what they deserve? Well, I have. I've looked at scenarios and I've said, they're, they're just getting what they deserve. They're laying in the bed they made. Whatever phrase you want to pick, that's not compassionate. Where, where's, where's compassion in my life? Where's humility? I gotta, I'm going I'm to put it on. Christ alive inside of me allows me to go against my natural nature and put on the characteristics of Jesus. I can forgive somebody. Listen, someone has done you wrong in life. So all of us, someone has done something wrong to all of us. Can we forgive them? How have I wronged somebody else? Am I, have I sought after forgiveness? And above it all, Paul's saying, put on love. How can I authentically show someone the love of Jesus Christ? How can I put on love? What would it look like when I, when I go to work? What does it look like to put on the love of Jesus Christ at my workplace or at a restaurant or, or with my family or my spouse or my friends or my small group? What does it look like to put the love of God on? I love the way Paul frames it because you can't put on one coat until you take off the other. He's saying you gotta, you gotta put off this so that you're free to put on this. He's, he's pushing us and saying we've gotta put it on. Because when the root system is right, when that relationship with Jesus is right, everything else can then flow out of it. That's why Jesus says that you're going to know them by their fruit. You can, it's easy to fix the external, but if you don't work on the deep things in your heart and allow Christ to fully come alive inside of you, then all of these other things are just the shallow, they're hollow, they're brass, they're, they're not, they don't carry the weight of a heart that's fully committed to Jesus Christ. And we see Paul closing out this thought as we go back to the text. In verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love how Paul is, has framed these thoughts. So he gives you the synopsis. He gives you to put it away, to put it on. And then this is what I would say. He said, Paul's saying, put the system, put the right system in place for your life. See, I'm, a, I'm an operations systems guy. I love it. It's my mind naturally goes there. Maybe some of you guys are like that. Um, I just, just embrace it. Don't even, don't even shy away from it. Just let it run free in your life. You'll, you'll feel happier. Um, we have a system for everything. Like we really do. Like we have a spreadsheet with our budget and we have a system of how we do groceries. You know, we order online, we show up, we push the button, the trunk opens, they put them in the trunk, we push the button again, they close the trunk. It's an introvert's dream. And then you just drive away. Like, you barely have to say thank you. You know what I mean? Like, it's just amazing. Um, but all of us have systems in our life. And we may not call them that. We may just mean just how we, we, here's what we say. We just, this is how I am. 
but you have a system in your life, and that system is how you're getting the results you're currently getting. I, I, I have a pastor that I, I, I love and I look up to. He says this, if you're not getting the right results, then you're not using the right system. So for your life, when you look at the results, just look at the different aspects of your life. Think about it as like a dashboard on your car. When you look at all the different areas of your life, what results are you getting? If you're not getting a result that you want, you have to change the system. What Paul is communicating, here is the system to cultivate a pure heart in following Jesus. Here you go. Let's jump through these real quickly. Number one, peace, rule your hearts. What could it look like instead of having worry and anxiety and stress and fear be the driving forces of our life and the driving forces of our decisions? We stopped and we said, I'm gonna allow the peace of God to rule my heart. See, I think Paul is intentional in his language of the word rule. It's, it's not that those other things may not be present in our world, because they will be. But Paul is saying what we give supremacy to, what we allow to be the driving force, the highest truth, is that the peace of God is what rules my heart. So when you go to work and you don't know if you're going to be in the office or out of the office, you know what I mean, as everything goes back and forth in life or, or you don't know if another round of layoffs are coming or you don't know if you get a diagnosis from the doctor or you get, um, you're married and all of a sudden you get handed divorce papers. Whatever it is in your life, whatever fear is trying to, to supersede its presence in your heart, we allow the peace of God to rule over that aspect. When was the last night you got a full night's sleep? That you didn't wake up at two or three in the morning, panicked and heart racing about something. How, how can we allow the peace of God to rule our hearts? Number two, be thankful. I really believe thankfulness stems, the, the root, the core root of thankfulness stems from being grateful for what God has done in our life. So the psalmist writes, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You see, when we live life and we look at our lives like we are somehow entitled because of our behavior, because of our merit, because of our talent, because of our situation, we lose our thankfulness. Whereas gratitude and thankfulness stems first and foremost out of that realization that I was dead in my sins and now I'm alive in Christ. And as I embrace that, gratitude will swell out of your heart. And instead of being entitled, you actually become thankful. Practically speaking, think about this. What, what would your life look like if you just began to say thank you for everything? I'm not talking like, oh, macro level, like once a day, thank you, God, thank you for everything. No, 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 I'm talking like actual, like dig down into the, the everyday mundane aspect of your life. When you're at home and your spouse loads the dishwasher when the sink was full, saying thank you. When someone does something that you're paying them to do for you, like so your barista hands you a cup of coffee, looking at them in the eye and saying thank you. What would happen if you just permeated every aspect of your life with thank yous? That usher directed you to your seat and you're like, thank you. 
Even though it wasn't where you wanted, you just, everything is a thank you. Your, your, your children do something they're supposed to do. It's a chore. They take out the trash. Hey, thank you for doing that. What a, every aspect, every little detail of your life, if we just became a people who were just constantly expressing thankfulness to one another, what would that do to your heart? What system, what, what things in Paul's word, what, what systems would change inside of your heart because of thankfulness? Your coworker, your neighbor, your waiter, everybody. Just saying thank you. It's this amazing opportunity to cultivate thankfulness. Number three, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We got to allow the word of God to move beyond a checklist in our day to something that is so present and so real and so relational. Look, I, I, I use the one-year Bible. I adore the one-year Bible. I, I love it. Every single morning, um, this, this is how I spend time with God. I look at my one-year Bible plan, and I go, okay, here's my Old Testament. Here's the New Testament. Here's the Psalms. Here's wisdom literature. Um, and I'm, I'm reading through the Word of God. Every, I read through the Bible every year like that. And I can't fall into the trap, and you can't either. That, that just becomes the checklist, the moral obligation of the day that I have read my Bible. You see, because... The Bible is the word of God. And in John, it says that the word of God became flesh and blood and, and dwelt among us. That Jesus is the word become flesh and blood. That he is the word incarnate. So it is not that I'm reading a book that has past tense truth in it. That I am reading a present tense reality. And I'm having a dialogue, a, a conversation with a person, Jesus. And allowing him to speak to me through his word of God. Through the word. And there's a dynamic change when that happens, that I'm not just spending time reading my Bible, that I'm spending time with the Son of God, and it becomes a personal relationship, that it becomes relationally driven, not obligation driven, and there becomes a vibrancy in that, ha that happens. And the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, I'm just going to read it. It says, verse 2, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When you come to the word of God, do you come at it like you're, I'm coming into contact with Jesus? And there's an awe and there's a reverence to the reality of that, that we, yes, we approach his throne boldly because we're in a relationship with him, but he is still the king of kings and he is still the Lord of lords and he is above all. And as I look to his word, my eyes are actually going up, lifting up above all the things that this world has to offer me. And I'm saying, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm seeking after the highest good, the highest truth, the highest point of my life. Number four, teaching and admonishing. Here's the question. What's your outflow of your life? See, as we spend time in the word of God, as we spend time, we come to church, we come to prayer meetings, we come to bold youth, we come to Radiant United, we come to a small group, we come to all these different things. They're inflows into our life. My question is, what is your outflow? Because Paul is saying the system, part of the system is teaching, is admonishing. So who, who are you teaching? Who are you admonishing? If you have only inflow and no outflow, your life, the system, starts to break down. 
If you look at it like um, bodies of water, a, a body of water that has only inflow, you know what it's called? Swamp. Water's stagnant, it's disease infested, and you can't drink it. It's unhealthy. We're, we're, we're called to have inflow and outflow. But on, the opposite is also true. If, if you only have outflow, you know what that's called? A desert. And there's no life there either. What we're called as Christians, as people of God, as, as people who said yes to Jesus, we're called to be living streams of water. We're called to, to be an outflow, an inflow, receiving from the Lord, and we're pouring out to other people. So if there's no outflow in your life, you're, we need to work on that. We need to step into that area and begin asking yourself, who can I pour into? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's serving on the dream team. Maybe it's serving in kids. It's worshiping one serving one, whatever it looks like. And maybe there's other things that are, have nothing to do with Radiant. But the question and the, the core principle remains the same, that you have to have an outflow. Paul's saying the system breaks down if you don't have an appropriate outflow of your life. Number four, teaching and admonishing. Sorry, number five, singing. Here's the thing. How, I want to ask you the question, how can you fill up your home or your car with songs? Now, maybe it is um, you've got to turn off some podcasts. Maybe you've got to turn off the talk radio. Maybe you've got to turn off the TV, whatever it is. Um, how can you fill up your home with singing? And to be really transparent, this, is, this was one of the hardest things for me to even grow in and even still. I didn't grow up singing. I did not grow up in a singing household, right? I grew up um, as a playing sports and you know what I mean? I've never once had a coach look at me and go, way to go, Dorinsky, way to hit that tenor. You know what I mean? Like, way to hit that harmony. Like, no, 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 no. It's like, hey, way to box out. Way to, way, to, way to hit the cutoff, man. Way to, you know what I mean? Like, way to hit the block. Way to, like, it has, it's never been something. But as a Christ follower, Paul who is more theologically educated than any of us probably ever could be and has had, had more divine revelation of Jesus than any of us could ever hope to have, he's saying, don't forget to sing. And the, the, the trap, I think, well, that's not my personality, right? I mean, come on, how many of you guys, you guys, you just want to be like, you don't want to raise your hand because you don't want to be that guy. But I'm going to tell you, like, the trap for me is to go, that's just not my personality. My default, I could be an introvert all day long if I wanted to be. Like, you know what I mean? I don't need to talk to anybody. I can sit, read a book and be completely content in life. Um, but Paul's saying it is not personality driven. It is, here's the system. Here's the way that you cultivate vibrancy in Jesus and vibrancy in your heart is through these things. So if Paul is saying singing is a part of it, then my personality has to become secondary to what God has called me to. My, secondary, my, my personality is secondary to Jesus because ultimately it's no longer, like Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. My personality comes second to that. And listen, I, I, I love personality profiles. I, I love them. We do them here and Next Steps, so you can take a spiritual gift assessment and a personality profile, and they're important. I have a friend that we, were, we actually have the same profile, so we, he was sending me information that he did a deep dive on it, and he was sending it to me, and we were talking about it. But listen, all of that is awesome, but it's secondary 
to the nature of Christ, that it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. It doesn't matter if I think that my personality says don't sing. What matters is that the word of God says to sing. So I'm gonna become subservient to the word of God. I'm gonna lift up my eyes. I'm gonna fix my thoughts on things that are higher than the temporal preferences that I have in this world and say that the goodness of God is worth singing about. Number six, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The big question, what, what aspect of your life, what area can you look at and say, here's, here's how I can begin to give God the glory in this area? What can I do? Maybe, maybe in my workplace, I actually, I need to work harder. Maybe, maybe I've been loafing and I've been coasting and just trying to fly under the radar and I'm just doing the bare minimum to get by. Maybe, maybe I need to become a better employee. Maybe, maybe I, need to, I need to share the gospel with this person. Maybe, maybe I need to, to, to be kind and actually reach out to people more. How, whatever you do, how can you do it for the glory of God? Whatever you find yourself to doing, whether it's leading a small group, serving, working, raising children, being married, and dating relationships, trying to navigate those seasons of life, every aspect, what can it look like if you brought Jesus glory in that? That we don't compartmentalize our life but we say that, that Jesus has it all. It's, all. it's all from Jesus. I'm just, I'm just a steward anyway. Everything I have is, have is his. So how can I bring God glory through this? And finally, I just wanna circle back around to Paul's initial statements. Because so much of of his writing can look like, do this, don't do that. Paul is the king of practical application in the book of Colossians. He's saying there's so many things not to do and he's constantly coaching the church. But the root cause, he's saying, is a life transformed. If then, you've been raised with Christ. It's that heart transformation that he, he starts with. It's a heart transformation that he focuses on. And it's that heart transformation that he puts the greatest emphasis on. So even today, as you, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes with me. I just want to ask you just a few questions. That qualifier, Paul saying, have you begun a relationship with Jesus? Have you embraced the, the word of God when it says it's no longer I that live, but Christ through me? That I'm dead to my sins and I'm alive in Christ. Where are you at on that, on that, that journey, that pathway? And if you're here today, you're joining us online or you're, you're in the room and you say, yeah, I wanna, I wanna cross that line of faith. I wanna begin that journey of following Jesus with all that I am. 
If that's you, just right where you're at, I just want you to just stick your hand up in the air. If you're in the room, if you're in the chat, just, just as a way of acknowledging, yes, this is me. I wanna, I wanna begin that relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you said yes today, you're at home, in the car, you're in the room, just make this prayer your prayer this, this morning. Jesus, I give you my life. I, I give it all to you. You're my king. You're my Lord. Come, take up residency in my heart. Do the deep work that only you can do. And I'll follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, and if you're, if you're here today, just in the same posture, I just wanna just ask you a question as, as one of your friends. As we look at the word of God and we look at Paul saying, it's time to, to put some things away. It's time to dig deep down into the, the root system of who you are, the core, the essence of who you are as a person. Are the things in your life that, that God is, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today to put away? Anger, malice, obscene talk, lying, whatever it is. What, what are the things that God is, is communicating to you today right here and saying, I want you to put it away? Or maybe what, what's the aspect of your life that Jesus is, is telling you today? It's time to put something on. It's time to take a step in this direction of, of gratitude, of kindness. And he's saying, it's time, to, it's time to put this on. It's another coat. It's another layer of your growth in Jesus that you're going you're gonna to be thankful. You're going to forgive. There's an area, there's a, there's a wound that you've never forgiven that person for. And today's the day that I want you to step in and walk in forgiveness toward that person. Or maybe there's God's telling you to put on love. It's time for you to, to show people the authentic love of Jesus with your life. So wherever you're at, whether God's telling you to put something off or put it away or to put something on, I want to pray for you. So God, I pray for my friends this morning. Jesus, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would speak and communicate clearly to them. God, that the word of God will be articulate in their hearts and in their lives. God, that the things you've called them to, to put away, Jesus, I pray that there would be a quick obedience in our hearts. And God, the things that you're telling us to put on, I pray that we would, we would wear it and walk in it with a purpose and intentionality that the Holy Spirit of God has given us. God, I pray that our lives would be transformed through your word, God, that it wouldn't be a rote list of things not to do and a, thing, a list of things to do, but God, there would be an authentic and passionate transformation that happens in who we are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.